Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad to have you back once again as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation, and especially looking at the three angels in Revelation chapter 14 and the messages that they have for us. This is lesson number three. We are looking at the everlasting gospel. What is it? Who is it given to? How does it apply to us? We're going to be delving into all of that today. And with us, just like the last two weeks and just like the remaining weeks this quarter, is our special guest, the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, uh, international speaker and evangelist, Pastor Mark Finley. But before we meet him again this week, we are going to have prayer. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for being with us again this week as we continue our journey through this important book for our time, the book of Revelation, and these important messages for our time, the three angels' messages. We ask that you'll bless our time together as we explore the everlasting gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Pastor Mark, welcome back. I'm glad to be back. I've been enjoying these last couple of weeks. These are fantastic studies. It's a wonderful subject, a wonderful topic. And, and though there are many things that you can look at in the book of Revelation and in the three angels' messages, the everlasting gospel is a significant one. Share a little bit about where we're going this week with the everlasting gospel. Well, you know, when you start the book of Revelation, many people think about mystic symbols. They think about these cryptic beasts, strange numbers. and But yet, when you look at Revelation 1, verse 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. When I take the book of Revelation in my hands, Pastor Eric, and I think about the fact it's the revelation of Jesus, where did he get it? God gave it to him. What did he do with it? He gave it to his angel, who gave it to John. You and I can take this book in our hands and say it comes directly from the heart of God, sent by Jesus to an angel, to John, who 2,000 years ago on the island of Patmos is exiled there, and he writes it down. So it's an it's th- incredibly thrilling book. When you come to the third verse, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things therein. So there's a triple blessing to one that reads it, to the ones who hear or understand it, and to the ones that keep it. So the purpose of the book of Revelation is to lead people into action. And then it talks about the living Christ, uh, verse down here in verses 4, 5, 6, it talks about Jesus, and it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he's made us kings and priests to God. So there are three verbs. He loved us, he washed us, and in addition to that, he made us kings and priests to God. So we study the book of Revelation, we're studying about the one who loves us, the one who wants us saved, the one who washes us from our sins uh, through the blood of the cross, and the one who transforms us and makes us kings and priests to God. There's nothing higher in the political world, in the ancient world, than a king, nothing higher than a priest in the religious world. What's God saying here? He's saying, I have a destiny for your life. You're going to be like kings and priests to God. I have a purpose for your life that's far beyond what you can imagine. So it's not intended to be the scary book that some people make it out to be. It's not the revelation of the beasts or the revelation of the Antichrist or or the revelation of the seven last plagues. And certainly the book of Revelation talks about those things, but really at its heart, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It shows us who he is. It shows us how the story ends, as it were, and what role we can play in that story. Exactly. Yeah. 
So we're looking at the three angels' messages specifically in, in this quarter's lesson. How does what we've just learned about Revelation, how it begins, Revelation chapter 1, how does that connect with what we're studying in Revelation chapter 14, the three angels' messages? Well, in chapter 14, verse uh, 6, you have the introduction of the gospel. We talked about, in Revelation 1, it talks about the Christ who loved us, the Christ who washed us from our sins, the Christ who um, makes us kings and priests to God and is coming again for us. In Revelation 14, verse 6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven. He, he just is rapid, quick, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So here it says, that it talks about the everlasting gospel. So that would lead us to the question, what is the gospel? And I think the Bible gives us some very good definitions. And then why is it everlasting? We'll look at both of those things. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And maybe you can read, uh, Pastor Eric, verses 1 and 2 for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think this helps us to understand the gospel, as is the book of Romans, when we'll look at that as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, if you'll just read verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is preaching to them the gospel. Then he defines the gospel in verse 3. So go ahead and continue to read verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So what is the gospel? Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected. So the gospel is that through the life and death of Christ, we can have eternal life. He faced Satan's temptations head on. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Through Adam, there is death. Through Christ, there is life. So the first thing we notice about the gospel is that because of sin, you know, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin are death. So we deserve to die. We deserve to go into the grave and never come out. We deserve to be eternally lost because sin is deadly. Sin is fatal. But yet Christ came, lived the life we should have lived, was victorious over every temptation of Satan. Accepting Christ means we accept his life in place of our sinful life, his sinless life in place of our sinful life. It means we accept his death on the cross in place of our death. Christ died not simply a physical death, but when he said, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He felt God forsaken. He didn't see himself coming through the tomb. He, he was taking on the sin, the guilt, the condemnation of all humanity's sins. And so in Christ, we find one who was victorious over temptation, one who died in our place, but then he was re resurrected from the dead. Hallelujah. Resurrected from the dead and uh, is our living high priest. When we come to Jesus, he accepts us as we are, but we don't stay as we are. He begins a work in us to change us. That's what the gospel is all about. The living, the dying of Christ, the priestly ministry of Christ, the coming again of Christ. That's gospel. 
You mentioned a moment ago, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. And of course, you and I both know that's not where the verse ends. If it did, that would be a discouraging verse. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's where that, that, the happy part of the gospel comes in, that yes. victorious part of the gospel. Now, we've probably both run into people who say, okay, I, I understand who Jesus is. I see who he is. I understand what he offers. But I'm not good enough to be saved. I'm, I'm the stuff I've done, the things I've done, the people I've hurt, you know, fill in the blank, the list goes on and on. And they feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. How does the gospel give them hope? How should the gospel give them hope? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all of us, if we were looking at ourselves, would not see any way to be saved. And I think the gospel gives them hope because sin is part of the universal nature of mankind. Sin is part of who we are. It's part of every nerve and tissue of our bodies. So salvation is not dependent on who we are, but who Christ is. And that's what Ephesians 2 is all about. You know, verse 8 for by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works anybody should boast. So gr- salvation is offered in Christ through grace. We receive it by faith. And that's encouraging. So, so if you are discouraged, if you are worried, if you are concerned that you're not good enough to be saved, that Jesus couldn't possibly forgive you, uh, trust that perhaps you're not the greatest sinner who ever lived. And even if you were, Jesus is the greatest Savior who has ever lived. Mm-hmm. And so you need not concern yourself with your own sins. What you ought to concern yourself is, with is simply giving them over to him, confessing your sins, because he has promises, if we confess, he will forgive. Exactly. And that's the incredible good news. You know, I love what it says in John chapter 6, It is a promise to us in John 6, verse 37. This is a promise. And maybe somebody is struggling today and thinking, I am just not good enough to be saved. And um, this promise is given to us by God. John 6, verse 37 and 38 puts it this way. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. This is an incredible promise. You may be struggling and say, you know what? I'm just too bad to be saved. I've failed too much. I'm, I'm a lost human being. But Jesus says, him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. That's a promise that Christ gives to you, my friend. He will never cast you out. Jesus says, come unto me. All you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Romans 8, verse 1, it says, There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So put these three things together. First, John 6, he that comes to me, I'll never cast him out. He promises you that. Second, The one that comes to me, I'll take the burden off your shoulders. I'll give you rest. Third, the one that comes to me, there is no condemnation. The good news is those promises are for you. Eric? Pastor Mark, that's an incredible encapsulation of what the everlasting gospel is. Now, we're going to look in just a moment about why it's called the everlasting gospel. But before we do that, I want to remind you, 
We have a wonderful complement to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson, and that is a book called Three Cosmic Messages, authored by Pastor Mark Finley. You want to pick this up because it's going to help you understand even more deeply, even more clearly, even more broadly, the subject that we are studying this quarter. Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley, and you can find this at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. We're going to come back in just a moment as we continue looking at the everlasting gospel. We'll see you in just a moment. It's one of the most fascinating books in the Bible, written with signs and symbols in almost a code, written by John, who was under house arrest when he wrote it, on the island of Patmos in the beautiful Aegean Sea. Don't miss great chapters of the Bible Revelation chapter 14, where we investigate a chapter of the Bible that contains what the Bible refers to as the everlasting gospel, God's final message of warning and mercy for the world. Revelation chapter 14 introduces us to the 144,000. Who are the 144,000? And can you be in that group? And then three messages from angels that fly in the midst of heaven proclaiming their God-given message with a loud voice. Don't miss great chapters of the Bible. Revelation chapter 14 on It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. ItIsWritten.study. Go online to ItIsWritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides, 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking today, this week, at the Everlasting Gospel. So, Pastor Mark, we've looked at what the everlasting gospel is. It's that good news that Jesus died, was buried, raised again, and, and is today up in glory, making preparing mansions for us, as it were. Why is this everlasting gospel, or why is this gospel called the everlasting gospel? What makes it everlasting? This, the word everlasting, to, to most people who hear it, Existed forever, exists now, will exist forever. How, how is this gospel everlasting? Great question, Eric. Thanks so much. You know, there's a couple passages in the Bible that help us to understand this. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. It says, it's talking about the beast power that rises up out of the sea. It's talking about the last days. In verse 8 of Revelation 13, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, that is the beast, whose names have not been written, now here's the thing, in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. 
So this talks about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. I thought he was slain on Calvary. What do you mean from the foundation of the world? But we go back even further because in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, it talks about uh, something else about Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, we're looking there at verse 18 and 19. You want to pick up those for us? Sure. Verse 18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So that is quite an amazing passage. We read that in Revelation 13:8, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Here we read that before the foundation of the world, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. What does this mean? Why is the gospel everlasting? When God created the human race, he recognized that giving the human race freedom of choice necessitated that they could make poor choices, and God knew that. What is the gospel? In one word, it's the love, the love of God. So the reason the gospel is everlasting is because love flowed from the heart of God eternally. And when God knew that he was creating the human race, he knew the potentiality and that they would fall. He had a plan. The, the foundation of Scripture indicates that the plan of salvation was not an afterthought for God. It was not something that he thought after, and there's a, after sin. There's a wonderful, wonderful uh, statement here that um, I think is really helpful. It's on uh, Tuesday's lesson on April 11, and it's on page 25. And let me just read it. It's right at the bottom of the page. It says, The plan for our, our redemption, and this is from Ellen White in Desire of Ages, page 22. The plan for our redemption was not an afterthought, a plan formulated after the fall of Adam. It was a revelation of the mystery which had been kept in silence through times eternal, Romans 6.25. It was the unfolding of the principles that from eternal ages have been the foundation of God's throne. So what are the principles that have been the foundation of God's throne? Love, unselfishness, sacrifice. So the gospel is everlasting because it dwelt in the heart of God before creation. It's everlasting because it presently reaches out to us. Wherever we are, whatever our sins or weaknesses, our mistakes, our faults, the gospel reaches us. And it's everlasting because the love of God will never stop. It'll flow through the ceaseless ages of eternity. So a a much better understanding of what the everlasting gospel is now uh, that we've delved into it a little bit. And I think it's, it becomes even more real as we experience it, not just intellectually assenting to the fact that, that that gospel has existed, love has existed, exists now and in the future. But when we can receive it into our hearts, that's when it really makes a, a huge difference. It makes all the difference in the world to know Christ experientially, to know that the one who knows me best loves me most. Absolutely. When we take a look over here in Revelation chapter 14, verse number 6, we're talking about the, the everlasting gospel. In Revelation 14, verse number 6, the last part of this verse talks about where the gospel is going. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, 
And then it says to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Explain that last part of verse number six, who the gospel's going to, how far it's going, when that's going to happen. You know, remember what Jesus said, and we'll come back to Revelation 14, but in Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus makes this remarkable statement. He, Matthew 24, of course, talks about the end-time events, war, rumors of war, nation rising against nation, conflict, strife, famines, earthquakes, fires, floods, lawlessness. It was part of an answer to a question that Jesus was answering for his disciples when he talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And they said, what shall be the sign of thy coming? What, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? They thought an event as cataclysmic as the destruction of Jerusalem must be the end of the world. And Jesus masterfully blended events that would lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem in the end of, in the, in the, end of the world. But after Jesus gave all those various signs, he gives the final sign in Matthew 24, verse 14, where he says, In this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. Here we have very clearly outlined by Jesus the fact that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Just like it says in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, having the everlasting gospel to preach those who dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, tribe, and people. So the prediction is that the message of Christ and the gospel and the truth of God's word will leap across geographical boundaries. It will span oceans. It will bridge language groups. God's word is not going to flicker like some candle in the breeze and go out. But the earth will be ablaze with the glory of God. And this message of Christ in his love and grace and his power, his intercession in heaven, his soon coming, will go to the ends of the earth. One of the things that I noted in the quarterly um, about this idea of the gospel going to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people was is a quote that I found extremely fascinating Uh, It's found on page 26 under Wednesday's lesson. It is a quote from a book called A Quest for More, Living for Something Bigger Than Yourself by Paul David uh, Tripp. And I was really impressed with that. Do you have it there? Can you read it, Eric? I do. Here's what he writes. He says, Human beings were created to be part of something bigger than their own lives. Sin causes us to shrink our lives down to the size of our lives. The grace of Christ is given to rescue us from the claustrophobic confines of our own little self-focused kingdom and frees us to live for the eternal purposes and satisfying delights of the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? That's powerful. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the idea of living for something bigger than yourself, living for something larger than yourself. A number of years ago, John F. Kennedy developed what he called the peace movement, and he sent young people around the world in the Peace Corps They would go out to the far reaches of, say, Brazil and work in little primitive villages, help for people to have water that didn't have water supply and help them to grow crops. Uh, They would work as medical missionaries around the world. And young people rallied to that. It was something larger, bigger than themselves. There's nothing as big, nothing as great, nothing as grand as sensing that you're part of a movement raised up by God to prepare a world for the second coming of Christ. You know, I've been preaching the Word of God now, Pastor Eric, for over 56 years. I've stood on the great platforms of the world and 
everything from Africa to Asia to South and Inter-America to the former Soviet Union, Kremlin Auditorium, people ask me, they say, how can we hold our young people? Why is it that young people leave our church? If we dumb down the message, and if Adventists become just another denomination uh, on the landscape of denominations, it's going to be difficult to hold young people. But if young people see that there's something bigger, grander, that God has outlined a message of the three angels, a message that's so big, so broad, so great, that it calls out their best, why is it that we send, have sent our missionaries overseas, the brightest and the best? You know, in 1874, when we sent our mission, first missionary overseas, J.N. Andrews, his wife had died, Mary. He went with his daughter, who was about 15 at the time, and his son. And Ellen White said that he is the ablest and best man in our ranks. He knew seven languages. He had memorized the New Testament. He had known much of the Old Testament. Why send your brightest and best? For one reason. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Then the end shall come. I remember going out to um, Seleucy College. And I wanted to be by myself. And I walked out among the cemetery that they had there for the pioneer missionaries who came out, you know, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, people like W.H. Anderson. And I, and I saw the graves of a number of these missionaries who were buried there. They went out and never came back. Why did they do that? Why did missionaries go out today? Why did they leave their country? For one reason. They believe in a message of Revelation 14. They believe that there's an angel flying in mid-heaven that has the everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It calls out your best. Why do I, at 77 years old, keep preaching and not go sit and put my feet in some swimming pool, sit in some jacuzzi? That's not too bad sometimes. But why? Because I profoundly believe that God is a message for this time to prepare well for the coming of Jesus. That is something worth living for, yes. something worth dying for. And if you're watching this program or listening to it on the radio, God doesn't just want Pastor Mark doing that. He doesn't just want me. He doesn't just want evangelists and pastors and preachers sharing this great message. He wants to use every type and stripe of humanity, every single person, young, old, educated, less educated. doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where you want to go and that you want to take some other people with you. So I want to encourage you, let first the everlasting gospel touch your heart if it hasn't. You may know who Jesus is, but if you don't know him, or you may know about who Jesus is or intellectually know that he exists, but if you don't know him personally, I want to encourage you to get to know him personally. And as he does, as you do, he will touch your heart and mold and shape you into the person that he knows you can be even better than you know you can be that person. And that gospel will go to all the world through you. So be encouraged. God is at work. He's at work in your life, and he's at work in the lives of many, many others around the world. This gospel of the kingdom will go to all the world, and God wants to use you to help that happen. So be encouraged. God is with you. God will guide you. God will strengthen you. God will keep you. 
and God will prepare you for that wonderful day when Jesus comes back. Pastor Mark, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. And we're looking forward to having you next week. And we are also looking forward to having you with us again next week. And we pray that God will bless you until that time.